Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. We have a great class coming up for you tonight. We're going to be talking about the Earth's energy grid and this these currents of electricity running through the Earth that are powering these different, like, ancient sites and uh, you know people talk about ley lines we're gonna we're gonna define really what a ley line is and what happens with these sites that get powered by the earth's energy grid so i did toss a uh, question out there earlier again i know it's an off night so people may not have seen it or they had other things going on but uh, the question that i had posted and I'll let people kind of chime in as they go along. Of all the ancient sites along the Earth's energy grid, which one intrigues you the most? And so those are, um, I think those are the Avebury stones that I have down here. Uh, and what's interesting, if you look real close on the lines behind all of that, uh, they are centered right on the Giza Plateau in Egypt. So what is interesting about when you just look up earth energy grid or ley lines, that subject, you get a lot of really interesting um, images that will come up. So like here's here's one here that has it's it's, it's not um, usually you see, okay, we'll go back to this image. You see how they have all these points coming together on the Giza plateau in Egypt. And this one doesn't. You have these, you know, uh, the, these massive centers in different parts that you wouldn't necessarily expect. They do have one there in the uh, in the Bermuda Triangle, and then you have here's another one uh, where you have all of these different nodes with all these different lines intersecting. It seems like most of these maps that you will find like this. And that spans the globe. Um, they're all kind of different. And I'm not really sure why that is if we're actually measuring the electromagnetism of these locations, which we, which we can, and people have. It, this is, um, you know, it's not just a metaphysical thing. It's not just, um, I hate the term woo-woo, but to throw it out there, it's not just a woo-woo thing. This is actually a uh, a measurable thing. And so... Uh, toss the map back up here. I want to read something uh, for you. And you can even see this one has a nice little intersection up there by Alaska. Uh, and this particular quote is actually from my book, uh, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, which will be coming out here very, very shortly. So this is an example. So a geographical survey of Alaska in 1965 by the United States Department of the Interior discovered as many as five different areas of distinct magnetic character in just the 100,000 square miles they surveyed in Alaska. Now, keep in mind, uh, Alaska is over 600,000 square miles. So this is just in, you know, like less than a sixth of the entire state. Uh, but this is, you know, the United States Department of the Interior. They're the ones that are conducting uh, these tests and these measurements. So we'll get back to it. Uh, th this is what they, in their interpretation of the magnetic data, the report stated, the magnetic profiles show numerous anomalies caused by variations in magnetization of the rocks, principally the mafic and ultramafic varieties, but also some granitic and metamorphic rocks. 
I know that sounds like a mouthful. This is just different types of uh, rock formations that they're talking about here. This magnetization is a combination of, uh, of that induced by the present Earth's field in the remnant magnetization, the latter tending to be the largest in the mafic volcanic rocks. In some cases, the direction of the remnant mag magnetization is reversed to give a negative anomaly. And this goes on for a little while, and I have the whole quote uh, in the book. But in other words, there are a significant number of different types of anomalies occurring in the region. Again, this is Alaska, due to the geological structure of the Alaskan ground and the stone within it, down to very significant depths. These anomalies are also exacerbated by the Earth's magnetic influence, field, and currents upon these type of rocks and minerals within the area known as the Alaska Triangle. So that that's just Alaska. That's a very small part of it. Um, like I said, you know, less than one-sixth of the state. And they're finding all these different anomalies up there. And again, this is the U.S. Department of the Interior that's running these different tests. This is not just... Um, you know, people in the metaphysical world coming together say, oh, there's all this magical energy around. You know, no, this is legit. This energy does run through the earth and it is measurable. And you have a lot of different other factors that go into it, like the, uh, you know, solar flares, the, the energy, the electrons and protons coming from uh, the sun that smash against the earth and we're mostly protected by our the magnetic sphere uh, that that protects us around the Earth, but some of that, of course, filters in when you have like larger solar flares, when you have that uh, maximum every 11 years, uh, and of course, you know, talking specifically about the Alaska Triangle, uh, since it's a little thinner up there, that's where you start seeing the auroras and the northern lights and and all of that sort of thing, which I'm not really touching on here, because we're going to be concentrating on the the earth but just wanted to throw out there that you have all these other extraneous factors as well uh so let's see how oh, tom mcnicholas is in the house all right great to see you tom um and here is uh nicole with a question what might someone experience if they are near a ley line great question and uh connie's in the house Thank you. Uh, great to see you, Connie. And of course, we saw uh, Bill in here earlier. So great to see some people in the house this evening on an off night. So back to uh, Nicole's question. What might someone experience if they are near a ley line? So you and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, we were talking about hallucinogenics and how they affect the body. And we had Freddie Silva on, um, well, we've had him on Edge of the Rabbit Hole twice. And we had talked the one time about um, ayahuasca and the influence of hallucinogenics. And his, what well, he ended up saying, he used the Standing Stones uh, as an example, was, um, you know, for one, the stuff tastes terrible. But for him, at least, he can get the same sort of effect being within these different standing stones, which are, of course, on the on the telluric currents. Those those, uh, those currents running underground, of course, it's stronger where those currents cross. And we're talking specifically ley lines. That term, um, there's a little bit of a misnomer. And uh, it was another thing we had Freddie do. And we're, I'm trying to get him back on the show where the schedules just didn't line up for this year. We talked about it earlier this spring. 
uh, but he, he's so learned in this area. So the lay is actually the lining up of all of the different sites. So uh, one of the most popular ones this is the Michael and Mary line through the UK. And you see all of these different, uh, you see temples on here, you see Stonehenge, you see Avebury, uh, you see cathedrals, all these magnificent buildings that are succinctly lined up like this. And it's just, it's uncanny. And they call it the Michael Mary uh, ley line because there's so many sites along this line that are dedicated either to St. Michael or St. Mary or her sister, Anne. Uh, not every single one of them, but a lot of them are. It, it's kind of uncanny. But they all line up like this. So this was um, years ago, uh, the the book, The Old Straight Track. Uh, that was out almost 100 years ago. And basically, uh, and I'm forgetting the guy's name off the top of my head, but he's basically walking along the countryside noticing how all of these different sites are lined up. And the question then becomes, why are they lined up like this? And that's because the ancient people knew to tap into that earth energy to power their different uh, their different ancient sites of power. That's why we call them ancient sites of power, because they want to utilize that energy for a number of different reasons. Um, a lot of them believe that uh, it offered healing properties, uh, altered states of altered states of consciousness as we were talking about before with like hallucinogenics ayahuasca that sort of thing uh, some people believe that they opened up uh, portals and stargates to other worlds and other dimensions now when we're looking at some of the uh, you know the, the Christian cathedrals and things like that um, they weren't necessarily trying to do that sort of thing what they knew uh, because again the whole, a lot of this stuff would be kind of like very quote unquote pagan to them, but they knew that these people that preceded them were building their temples on top of these sites that had some sort of energy to them. And the, uh, you know, the Christians didn't quite understand what that was. But they, they knew two things. One, they wanted to stamp out <laughs> the, uh, the older religions. So they needed to incorporate that within their own structures. So they would build their churches or temples or cathedrals right on top of these ancient sites. So the, uh, the, the natives, like the Druids or whomever, uh, would have to, if they wanted to come back to their old site, would have to then, you know, come to the Christian site and and access that that power. And that, even though now there's this whole church or whatever around it, so they had that going on, and they knew, even though they would not publicly admit it, they knew that there is something to what these people are talking about as far as you know the power of the land and things that are going on within it. And hey, if we can incorporate some of that so that we can have a more powerful building for God, then let's do that. And so that's why you see a lot of these Christian sites uh, along these lines as well, because they were building them on top of these already pre these already previously constructed sites uh, by people more ancient than them. Another popular uh, one is the Apollo Athena energy lines, and you see a lot of these. Uh, you know, this is this is uh, Europe here. So the the darker uh, 
part is the land. Whenever I see this map, I my eyes at first invert it, and I see the lighter area as land, and I have to kind of readjust my eyes. Uh, but you see this going through... Um, you know, the lower parts of England there through uh, France into Italy, through Greece, um, and you see it all the way to the, the Middle East. So, you know, going through the Isle of Rhodes, through Athens, uh, Delphi, uh, there's, uh, there's Pisa, there's Lyon, uh, Juan Michel. So you, you see all these different locations here that they're all connected on one straight line. So let's talk a little bit about the, the energy within here. Let me check some comments here real quick. Um, so uh, Nicole asking, do ley lines have light and dark energies? Or are they all neutral? Good question. And uh, Tom mentioning that they have some in the Chicago area, Lake Michigan. Yeah, Lake Michigan, Lake Michigan has standing stones hidden underneath. So... Uh, one of the quote-unquote triangle areas of the world is the Lake Michigan Triangle. A lot of strange disappearances and weird things have happened there. And there are some standing stones under the water there. And it does align back with the standing stones in England, like Stonehenge, Avebury, all that. Uh, absolutely fascinating. Now, I hope they do some more research on that. It's underwater. It's under the lake. Uh, but at some point, that was on dry land. So do they have light and dark energies? That's a good question. So we're talking about we're talking about the earth. So from my understanding, um, it's essentially a neutral energy. Now, somebody may harness that energy and attune it to something dark or something light. But as far as the earth is concerned, it, it's it's just the earth. So uh that's that is my understanding of it so let me get into i see nicole has another question there we'll get to it in a second because i do want to answer all your questions uh, but i do want to get into some of the specifics here so this is silbury hill and the reason why i'm throwing this up here is because of this particular quote um the quote is actually out of the divine blueprint by freddie silva but it comes from uh, the Seed of Knowledge, Stone of Plenty by John Burke and Cash Helberg, which you can find that entire book for free online on um, on Cash Helberg's website. Uh, John Burke passed away, so he's offered this for free. Uh, they did a lot of testing out at these different sites uh, in the UK. And let me read this to you. Uh, electrodes planted at hinge monuments in southern England revealed how their earthen ditches break the transmission of telluric ground current and conduct its electricity into the ditch, in effect concentrating the energy and releasing it at the entrance to the site, sometimes at double the rate of the surrounding land. This has led to the realization that stone circles, even mounds like Silber Silbury Hill, which this is a photo of, behave like concentrators of electromagnetic energy. So basically what he's saying here, or they were saying, is that the ancients knew how to put different things in the ground and build these different structures in order to funnel the energy into a specific site. And our modern technology, you've been, you can go out there with electrodes and actually measure this. So 
he was talking about Silbury Hill. We see the same thing at uh, at Avebury, and I didn't load up. Sometimes I forget to to grab photos. Where's the cool photo of the Avebury? Here we go. So th you, this is the entire site, and you can see that they had already started building the uh, the town within there, which is you know pretty much a shame. But it, the town itself extremely old, and then they realized, oh hey, we have uh, you know, these fantastic hinge monuments. So of course you can't build in there now, but um, you can see the stones. This is really cool. The the Avebury stones uh, in the morning fog. That's uh, a cool shot. I like that. And then of course uh, Stonehenge. So all of these different sites like this, and th this is a really concentrated number here in the UK. There's something special about that land there. Uh, but basically that uh, what they're doing is by building the ditches, by putting the stones in and using specific type of stones as well. What they've done is the current that's running under the ground. You know, it's basically in a, in a loop and it's it's pulsating it's it pulses and what they're doing is when they stick that stone in the ground and they build their ditch around and all that stuff is as that current pulsates instead of just going around it then hits that stone and funnels the energy into the location and so and then they would use it for their their different purposes let me get back to uh, Nicole's question here. And Tom's having to take off. Great to see you, Tom. Thanks for stopping in. Uh, hope you're able to keep, uh, catch the rest, if I could speak, catch the rest later. So, Nicole, do ley lines attract more fae slash magical creatures than other areas? So that's the legend. Yeah. Um, there is definitely um, something to be said for these different ancient sites attracting people like the fey folk um and it's always of course hard to know how much of it is truth and how much of it is legend so you see out in ireland the different ring forts and you know they'll say that these are the homes of the fairies well the ring forts used to be you know like legitimate forts uh built by the uh, uh the ancient peoples uh or even um you know the the irish when they were fighting the english you know, as defensive measures. And over time, they, of course, uh, you know, fell apart. And because they're concentric circles, then you just had this this mound, this circular mound. And there became all these different, you know, legends and lore about, uh, you know, about the faithful coming in. Uh, when it comes to, when it comes to the fairy rings, like with the, uh, with the mushrooms now that is that one's sorry guys <laughs> that was pure myth because that's the way mycelium grows uh the mycelium is actually in the earth and it basically reaches out in a circular pattern looking for nutrients to grow and the mushroom at the top is essentially the fruit of the mycelium plant for lack of a better term that's actually in the earth so but like i said it, it branches out in a circular pattern uh to grab those nutrients that has nothing to do with <laughs> with, with ley lines or to lure currents but um 
But I thought I would just throw it out there since we're talking about, uh, or had a little brief sidebar there on Faye. All right. So another interesting one uh, are the Rollwright stones. Talk about these real quick. And these are, you, know, you can see from the photo here, these are extremely weathered. Uh, but there is still measurable power here in the Rollwright stones. Uh, again, these are these are out there in the UK. A lot of locations like this out in the UK. They were really trying to tap in uh, with these different hinge sites. So uh, this, uh, let me read this off real quick. In 1983, a comprehensive study was undertaken by engineer Charles Brooker to locate magnetism in sacred sites. The test was subject, or the test subject was the Rollwright Stone Circle in England. A magnometer survey of the site revealed how a band of, a, of magnetic force is attracted into the stone circle through a narrow gap. Here's the illustration. Uh, through a narrow gap of stones that act as the entrance. The band then spirals toward the center of the circle as though descending down a rabbit hole. Two of the circle's western stones were also found to pulsate with concentric rings of alternating current resembling ripples in a pond. So again, here is a circular uh, structure with standing stones with measurable current that is in a, this one's in a spiral pattern, uh, which is very interesting. So the whole idea here is that you had the telluric currents within the earth that have all this measurable energy, basically the earth's magnetism running in these uh, electric grid lines. That's, that's what we essentially call the Earth's energy grid. They're running these different lines. And the ancients knew to tap into them, harness their power for varying means, and then over time, all these different sites that they had built lined up. And those, uh, those lines, um, those geographic lines of these different sites, those became the ley lines. All right, so <laughs> so what else can we use this power for? I know there's another question here. Uh, another one from Nicole. Astrologers believe that when certain planets and comets line up in specific ways, that the stars and planets harness a specific energy that can cause each of us to behave in a certain way. Is it possible that ley lines can behave differently or have more power if the stars slash planets are aligned with them in some way? Um, yeah, like Mercury retrograde, <laughs> like, uh, what's starting right now. Um, it all, it all influences, it all plays into it. So when, when you have, okay, so you have a site, they're tapping into the current, they're using it for whatever their purposes are, you know, whether it's, um, you know, healing power, ultra states of consciousness, stargaze, whatever, they're using it. But there are certain times in which it's going to become more energized for a variety of different reasons. It could be an astronomical alignment. Uh, it could be there was a, a solar flare that just, you know, irradiated the land. Um, you could have, you know, weather happening. You know, there's an electrical storm that blows through and the, uh, the discharge of the uh of the electricity you get that ionization of the air and we've always seen uh we talked about it a, a bit last week with um with that ionization that all of a sudden a lot more paranormal activity kicks up you know because the the air has been charged 
uh, you know, we always talk about the the moon. You know, the moon having an effect on things that happen on Earth. Of course, you know, of course, with the tides, that's uh, certainly clear. But uh, you know, our bodies are made of water uh, for the most part. Uh, plant life, animal life, uh, a lot of water involved. So the moon is going to have an effect on all of that as well. Uh, so you have a lot of different factors that can play into it. Are they going to directly affect uh, what's going on in the earth? What you'll have affecting the actual earth part of it would be something like a volcano or an earthquake. Uh, those type of things are going to have a drastic effect on the, the current that's running in the ground. Now, when you have that, uh, that magnetism of the earth, what we call a vortex, vortex energy, that uh, magnetism for the earth's core that's welling up, when it hits the surface and starts interacting with other things, uh, it's going to interact with other energy that's coming from other locations like, you know, previously or before mentioned, uh, you, know, uh, you know, solar energy or the moon, uh, or something going on with the weather. When that hits, when they connect, uh, you are going to have something happen. Um, probably kind of unpredictable <laughs> what what may happen. Um, you know, if you have the Earth's tiller current, um, remember it, it pulses too, and it's going to pulse. It's it's not always steady, right? Um, it's it's going to pulse a little differently at times, a little stronger, a little lighter. So when you have that hit, I don't know, you could say um, you know, th there was a storm that went through. You know, how strong was the storm? How ionized is, is the air at that point? Um, so you're going to have different effects depending on how strong is the solar occurred, how strong was the storm, um, you know, how strong was the solar flare that, that hit that day. So, um, you know, how strong is the moon that, that night, you, you know, so all, you have all these different factors. So that's why you have sometimes, you know, all kinds of, um, you have a lot of activity going on, whether that's, you know, supernatural, paranormal, um, you could have a, a an amazing, um, you know, session connecting with you. Maybe you're trying to astral project, you're trying to access another dimension, um, talk to loved ones that have passed, whatever it is, you might have an amazing connection one night and don't another because these different factors were different, all these um, all these different energies that are about. So it's not just metaphysical woo-woo stuff. It is, this is legit measurable, you know, scientific energies. So, all right. So getting back to, um, so what can we use this for? Or what have some of the ancients used it for? Well, let's, let's get to Egypt here real quick since I spent some time there a few months ago, which was uh, absolutely amazing. Mohammed and I are... Uh, in the midst of putting together the details for a uh, another tour uh, a little over a year from now. Uh, we'll get some more details when that's available. But um, a lot of people talk about the energy of the pyramids, that this is on one of those major earth nodes, and that these may have actually been power plants. Uh, Christopher Dunn has a uh, very 
uh, well, I own the book, uh, but he has a lot of interesting theories about uh, this building being used as a power plant. This is the uh, illustration, just kind of, you know, the, the rough idea of uh, what that would look like between the, uh, you know, the king's chamber, queen's chamber, you know, you can see how he has everything labeled a little bit differently. Like the queen's chamber is a reaction chamber. Uh, the uh, the king's chamber is a resonate, resonant quartzite chamber and you know, all these different things. So uh, here's what I found very interesting about it. Now, there is a distinct energy when you walk into this building and when you walk into like the king's chamber and all that, you, you can feel feel it. You know, it's, it's no joke whatsoever. The idea that this was just used as some sort of burial chamber is absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, there is a stone coffer in there. Um, you know, you can, there's no body found. The lid is gone. Uh, there was something that was slid in on top of it. And the fact that it was slid in on top is very different than any other uh, Egyptian sarcophagus, which basically came down. They didn't slide them on. So, story for another day. Uh, but what's interesting, now the idea here is they are it's harnessing the energy of the ground. It's uh, aligned to um, uh, the constellation of Orion, all those wonderful things. You have this idea of um, these different, you know, like Christopher here has, uh, you know, some different, uh, was this hydrochloric acid solutions that we're using here. A lot of ideas of how we might be generating power with this thing. And it's a debatable theory. But here's my observation. In the Queen's Chamber, this niche that's carved out of here, which, you know, has a resonance to it. It's, it's basically like the Grand Gallery, but just shrunk it down. So the Grand Gallery is this kind of niched out thing like that, but extremely long, not a slant upward. But in the Queen's Chamber, you have this little niche in there. Uh, there is a hole that goes straight back. You can kind of see there's some stuff that's sitting in there right now. Um, but it, it's like a vent that goes out. Now... Mainstream would like to tell you that there was a statue that was put here, perhaps some sort of idol that would have been worshipped or um, or would have been looking over the, the body or whatever. They, they don't really have a great explanation for it. But if you look at on the right-hand side here, and I apologize to those listening to the podcast later on or the syndicated broadcast on uh, KGRA or KPNL, you're not going to see, you have not been seeing any of these. <laughs> but uh, come join us for the presentation. Uh, usually we run these Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Uh, ConnectTheUniversePortal.com. But on the right-hand side here, this is that back wall of that niche. And you can see the scorch marks. That has been extremely burned and charred to the point of, if you look toward the bottom here, that's vitrification. It was so hot that the stone started melting. Um, that is just absolutely amazing that they had something going on in here that was so hot, a fire burning, 
just just so hot that it was vitrifying the rock. So that's not a burial. That's not just putting a body in there, putting some statues in there and saying, sayonara, we'll see you later. They were doing something with that pyramid. Was it a power plant? Maybe. It was something. It was definitely some sort of device. You can you can really sort of see it as you're walking through. A lot of people don't pay a lot of attention to the antechamber between the Grand Gallery and the King's Chamber. But that whole setup is absolutely mechanical. There, there's something going on there that has to be perfect between going from the Grand Gallery into the King's Chamber. And the Queen's Chamber is right below all of that. So something's up. Um, we don't know precisely what they're using for it using it for we have ideas we have theories and that's that's where they're going to stay for now so we've talked before hang on i think bill yeah bill has a uh, comment here he says the laid line that's interesting to me is the one that goes from the pyramids to the mesa verde in new mexico it goes through the place where the anasazi lived um yeah i am Favorite, uh, a favorite place of mine that I'd wanted to get to for so long and finally did a couple of years ago was Chaco Canyon uh, in, in New Mexico. Uh, finally got a taste of, we're not supposed to be using the word Anasazi anymore, just to let you know. Um, we're supposed to be using ancient Pueblans, which just means ancient people. Um, I had I had some people uh, reach out to me after I posted my Chaco Canyon video a um, year and a half, almost two years ago in which they were kind of offended because I'd used that term. It's what the, it's actually a derogatory term that the Navajo called those people. So, you know, we'd been using it for years because that's what the Navajo were calling them. So it's like, oh, those must be the Anasazi people. But it's not. We don't actually don't know what they were called. Now, the uh, Hopi, Hopi believed that they were descended from them, which they may very well be, but they would not have been called Hopi back then either. So they just call themselves ancient Pueblans. Um, but yeah, that whole that whole area in the Southwest, um, we're not really going to touch on it so much tonight. Uh, you know, between like Chaco Canyon, Sedona, um, there, the Nevada Triangle is out there, kind of a little known Nevada Triangle. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting things that go, go on out there, the Four Corners area. Of course, you have Skinwalker Ranch and, and all those locations out there as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, Bill, I didn't, I didn't know that either until uh, those people reached out to me. I've been calling them that for for years, for years. I'd been using that term. Um, so, so we live and learn, you know. Honest mistake. Okay. So, back in the summer, uh, we touched a lot on ancient Egypt. We had uh, three classes all in ancient Egypt. Um, so this could be a little bit of a, of a refresher for, for some people. So we see a lot in uh, the hieroglyphs. Stargate. So you can see the right here in the middle, the, the gate. That's the rectangular structure, and then you see the star off to the side. And there are some different interpretations. There's a number of different symbols for Stargate. There's Stargate, there's the Great Stargate. Um, a lot of these interesting ways that they would depict the same thing, depending on, apparently, the type of 
gate that was being accessed. So we don't specifically know what would be the difference between a Stargate and a Great Stargate. Um, but obviously, if they're calling it great, that must be bigger, more powerful. Maybe it goes to more places. We, we don't know, but we can uh, kind of make some guesses here. Uh, the one I always got a kick out of here is the one, uh, this is at Hatshepsut's Temple. Uh, Dear tour guides, kindly don't explain inside this part. We appreciate your cooperation. You can see right behind it, there's the symbolism or the symbols for uh, for Stargate again. But uh, yeah, it was kind of funny. In, inside this, uh, basically the Holy of Holies of uh, Hatshepsut's Temple, they did not want the tour guides in there explaining what we were looking at. And uh, so, But it's a very, very interesting location. Here's Hatshepsut's temple, um, and the Holy of Holies is basically up those stairs and straight back. You can actually see uh, the opening to that right at the top of the stairs. You see that black rectangle there? That's the doorway uh, into that where this sign is sitting right outside of. Um, but what's fascinating about this location is off to the left, you can't see it in this photo, but I'm gonna show it to you in the next photo. There is the base of a pyramid that is no longer standing. So completely ruined, there's just uh, a couple of layers there of stone. We don't know where the rest of it is. You know, Some of it's scattered around. Um, maybe somebody grabbed it for building material, we don't know. But there was a small pyramid here that was next to the temple. So one of the ideas that's being postulated, if pyramids were being used as uh, as power plants and Hatshepsut's temple had a stargate in it, then perhaps this pyramid that was next to Hatshepsut's temple was powering the stargate inside of it. And then when we go inside, this is what we see. Um, this, this is a photo from my buddy Johnny Enoch. This is beyond an area that they don't normally let you in. He, he ran up there before, before all the, the, uh, the tour crowd got up there so that he could grab this photo. He paid them who knows how much to get back there and take the photo. But it's, it's a cartouche with... Uh, that's just basically all filled with stars. So uh, another way to uh, just depict a Stargate or uh, some sort of star worship going on here. Remember with the cartouches, this is how they uh, basically depicted their uh, their kings. You know, their their kings' names were inside uh, the cartouches. Uh, you also see when when they're showing. Um, and, and I don't have a whole bunch of photos up here from, from Egypt, but when they're showing, uh, you know, like temples, like there are depictions of the levitation of the temple and that and stuff like that is inside of a, of a cartouche. And you see the guys with the rods. And the question over the, the years has been, where are these rods? So, because we see so many uh, friezes and artworks and, and sculptures of these guys holding the rods, we've never been able to find one. The idea is that uh, some of these collectors have them. So that would be utilizing with the rods, that would be utilizing the energy to levitate the temple, maybe open the Stargate. 
but the idea that they're using the um, you know the telluric current of the land harnessing that power into the pyramid to open Stargate. Another depiction that uh, that we see is now this one you have to kind of look beyond the falcon. So this is uh, they're symbolizing Horus with the falcon, but it was not always a falcon. Uh, it had been. If you look at the, uh, you know, this is alongside the stairs. So if you look along the, I'm going to say tail, because it does resemble a tail. Um, basically, what we're looking at here is what had once been a snake turned into the falcon. So in a lot of our uh, ancient Egyptian artwork and friezes and uh, when they use the snake symbol they are depicting energy so let's go back to this now alongside the stairs this is where that falcon with the snake tail is and again it wasn't always a falcon it was carved down from a probably a cobra uh, into the falcon and so you would have the depiction of the energy on either side of the stairs going up into the Holy of Holies area, which is where the Stargate was supposed to be. So, um, so all these things are just absolutely fascinating. Let me check your comments here real quick. Um, and yeah, Bill saying, uh, he remembers the uh, episode of Ancient Aliens where uh, the theory was a great or the theory of the Great uh, Pyramid being a power plant. Yeah, uh, Christopher Dunn is uh, the guy that has uh, postulated that theory back in, I guess it was the 80s or 90s. Uh, Giza Power Plant is his book. I highly recommend picking that up. Um, and, and yeah, considering how big the pyramids are, you would have to have a lot of power to power up Stargates. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So let's get to, that's all been on the other side of the world. Let's get a little bit closer here. Uh, get into Mesoamerica a little bit here. This is uh, in, in Teotihuacan, the uh, Temple of the Feathered Serpent. And there is a photo that I forgot to load up here because I wanted to show some similarities here. Let's see if I can find find uh, I wanted to find a photo of the step pyramid and I'm not finding it here am I <laughs> but basically um, this is a step pyramid at Teotihuacan which is in Mexico resembles actually quite a bit of the step pyramid that we see at Saqqara in Egypt so there are uh, some connections between the different pyramids of the world in style, uh, where they're located on the globe, which is which is very very interesting. Uh, what's interesting about this particular pyramid, uh, Teotihuacan? Again, we're, you know we're hitting a across another one of those um, those energy currents running through the globe, the telluric currents. This one actually had mercury. Uh, inside of it had a river of mercury. Now, what in the world would these guys be using mercury for? They they didn't have a practical purpose for using a liquid metal like mercury, at least according to mainstream. So, 
mainstream will tell you, well, it's just, it was just symbolic purpose. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, but, um, you know, we see in other ancient texts from around the world that um, they depicted, like from Sanskrit uh, texts, that they were using flying machines powered by mercury vortex technology, um, which is when you heat up mercury, uh, it's the, the, the power that you can get out of it. So, you know, you, it, this kind of goes down into like the ancient astronaut theory that they, you know, may have been using this mercury to, you know, power up some sort of vehicle or whatever. Um, or uh, another idea is that the mercury could have been powering the pyramid itself to, again, um, you know, become some sort of power plant. So this may have been uh, the, the way that, you know, Mesoamericans would have powered up their pyramid. And then we see even uh, the idea of, uh, of uh, liquid mercury being used to power up. It's, it really doesn't have anything to do with uh, Tiller currents, but uh, mercury being used to power up the, the Nazi bell, Die Glocke. They said that that was powered with a red mercury, and this is um, a technology that may think may have been some sort of time machine, perhaps. Again, we don't know. <laughs> so mercury being used in all of these different unusual ways and seeing it there in a, in a pyramid in Mesoamerica is very, very unusual. They're still trying to figure out exactly what it may have been used for. A lot of different theories, but could it have been the you know semiconductor for creating a, uh, a power plant and creating energy there for the people to use in a variety of ways? It's, it's certainly possible. Another type of pyramidal structure. Um, so this one, okay. <laughs> is this or is this not a, a pyramid? That is the question. And again, I know that those listening to the podcast later or uh, listening to syndicated broadcasts on KGRA or KPNL, you're not going to be able to see this to make a determination. It certainly looks like a pyramid from the air. And really, nobody's walked out there to take a look. This is actually a photo, a aerial photo from Antarctica. Um, it is it is a darker stone, obviously, and it photos like this commonly get used to depict the the dark pyramid of the Black Pyramid in Alaska. So if if you see something like this, this is Antarctica. Um, we really don't know <laughs> uh, what this may actually be. Um, and most people will tell you it is just a uh, you know, geological structure. It looks far too geometric uh, to, to be so, but, you know, we do see crystal formations that have that kind of shape so uh, maybe <laughs> again we don't know it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere in antarctica uh extremely cold conditions and like i said that gets used as the the black pyramid the dark pyramid in uh in alaska which again is a very another mysterious type of structure that we don't know a whole lot about and because of the uh season two episode one of the alaska triangle i've been getting been getting a lot of questions about the dark pyramid or the black pyramid uh and what exactly that may be uh, is it real is it truly out there um 
I don't know. So the thing is, is with, with that particular pyramid, the Dark Pyramid, it's supposed to be underground at Mount Denali or what had been Mount McKinley, which is why, of course, this photo can't possibly be that because that's outside. And we just have like a handful of people that have given little stories about it. So like the first guy that came forward about it, um, you know, it's we're basically having to take his word that this broadcast aired because nobody else seems to remember it. Um, and, you know, so we, we kind of have, we're going by his word. And then another person comes forward about, yeah, you know, there was something going on in Alaska, a secret location. There have been remnants of human activity up there, like a, uh, a landing strip and a road. You can't definitively say that it has anything to do with the Black Pyramid. All you can really say is it's... You know, human activity out there in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but we, we can't specifically say what the reason was. You know, another person remote viewed in. Um, again, it was just a random person that, you know, kind of uh, contacted the site and said, this is what I saw. A uh, little bit different than, like, say, Pat Price, who remote viewed Mount Hayes, but he was already a part of the government remote viewing program. So he had already been vetted, been doing that for a long period of time. So it's, it's a smattering of all these different stories. And it's like, I really want something a little bit more concrete. I'm not going to totally discredit it. You know, of course, do I believe something like that could be up there? Absolutely. Uh, because I believe that all these different areas of the world are connected with each other. And certainly up in Alaska, Alaska would be a prime place for being able to harness energy and power like that. So a lot of people are saying the Black Pyramid up in Alaska, you know, you know, powered the area even as far into Canada. I, there, there's no way to know for sure, of course, if that's, if that's true. Um, but if this was an ancient technology that was passed down over the millennia, then there could very well be hidden pyramids out there that we're not aware of. I mean, you, you take a look. We were just looking at Teotihuacan. And you take a look at those pyramids, the pyramids that were, uh, you, know, you know, down in uh, South America as well. Um, when those were first found and rediscovered, they were completely overgrown. They had to dig those out. They didn't really look like pyramids when they were first found. Um, and, and so... There may be plenty of structures out there hidden under the earth um, that we still need to, to go and seek and find. And given the idea that our civilizations have started up, risen, and fallen, and started up again and risen and fallen, you know, how old are some of these things? You, know, you look at the Egyptian pyramids, and those pyramids are a lot older. Somebody else built the pyramids as opposed to a lot of the the temples, the dynastic temples that you see. Like the the people that built Dendara, Abydos, those locations are different than the people that built the pyramids. You could just you can tell by the architecture, the structure, um, it's just um, everything about the pyramids is so much bigger, you know, much uh, larger blocks. Um, the style is different. It's, there's no writing. There's no hieroglyphs like is all over everything else. 
very, very different. So these were different civilizations. Well, how much older would be something that would be in Antarctica or Alaska? You know, again, still the same premise utilizing that power. When you pick up Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, that book, the other connections chapter, I get into this. And I do make connections with Atlantis in there as well. And so be on the lookout for that. But when it comes to Alaska and the Alaska Triangle, this is basically what I was up there doing with the dowsing rods during the television show, The Alaska Triangle. Um, they wanted me to find those type of currents. So they had me out there on Flat Top Mountain, which is just outside of Anchorage. Uh, they had me up there for hours. We were doing interview footage. They're asking me questions. I'm answering and all that great stuff. But one of the things that they wanted me to do was take some dowsing rods and just walk along the face of the mountain and try to find something and find something I did. Um, it was really a shot in the dark. You know, they, it was something they wanted for their television show. You know, let's do some tests. I had a, uh, an EMF detector as well, and that didn't really measure, measure a whole lot, but it was the rods. And sure enough, I did find a line going up and down the mountain from basically the top of the mountain, and it may have gone over it, all the way straight down into Anchorage. And so, yeah, it was it was a current. There was somebody who contacted me through my website after that episode first aired, and they're like, you know, I, I use those rods for finding pipes in the ground. And it's like, I'm on the side of a mountain. There's no pipes in the ground. It's like, yes, that can be used. And, and dowsing rods, again, are another legit tool. They're a, they are a legitimate tool. And they've come under scrutiny within the paranormal supernatural field because of like on television where people can, you can physically, you know, manipulate the rods to, you know, turn in different ways and, and what have you. Um, so a lot of people will say, well, it's too easy to fake that. So you can't, you know, do that on TV. Well, it just, it really comes down to, do you trust the person that's holding the rods to not do that? I mean, I, I trust myself. <laughs> of course I trust myself. Um, but it basically comes down, do you trust that what I did with the rods, that, that I was telling the truth? I mean, I did not manipulate the rods at all. They absolutely, when I crossed over into that area, the one turned in. It was, it was really strange because one turned in, the other stayed straight. And then I'd walk back out of that area and they'd both straighten out again. And I'd walk back through and back out. And they would, it would do the same thing in the same spot every time. And that was walking along uh, horizontally along the face. So then I decided to go vertical up and down from that spot where it turned in. And it stayed turned in all up and down. So that's how I was able to, to draw the line. So there was something legitimately there and you know the rods are something that the ancients used to find different things under the ground like water um, a lot of times it would be called a divining rod to be able to find water under the ground they would use the rods to find uh, you know, those different energy currents under the ground like I just did with the rods there um, or modern engineers will still at times use the rods to find pipes under the ground heck my father Hang on a second here. Trash to curb. I have to take the trash out when we're done with this show. <laughs> That's my usual Monday night, 9 o'clock alarm, which means our show needs to be done here in a minute. Um, 
But my father, he and I talked about this after watching that show. He's like, you know, a lot of the stuff I, I, I don't know about a lot of the stuff that you guys are doing, the, the, you know, the paranormal and, you know, trying to find ghosts and, you know, stuff like that. And he's like, but the, the rods are legitimate. He's like, I just, you know, took a couple of copper coat hangers. You know, we, um, there's something going on in my grandparents' house and they needed to find an old drain. And so he had heard about the rats. Now we're talking like, this is before I was born. <laughs> you know, I mean, he had heard about using the copper rods. And he said, I went into the closet. I got a couple of copper coat hangers and I, I bent them into the rods. I went out in the backyard and sure enough, I found the drain using the rods. So the rods work. And for our purposes up there on Flat Top Mountain, we found a line of energy going from the top of the mountain down into Anchorage. So uh, quite, quite interesting. And um, hey, and there's there's Sarah. All right. Sorry, I've missed tonight. We'll have to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> and put questions that connect the universe forum. Yeah. Speaking of questions. So, um, yes, please go ahead and submit your questions because we do have the uh, September uh, Q&A video that uh, that needs to be done here before I leave for the, the Paracons out west. So, uh, we've talked about a lot of different things here this month between Alaska Triangle, uh, we talked Simulated Universe, we talked, uh, you know, we talked Shadow Entities, today we talked uh, the Earth's Energy Grid. So, ask away on any of those uh, particular topics that you still have a question about, and um, I'll go ahead, I'll, I'll make a post there on, you know, some of the different social media so that you have something to respond to, or I have already posted on the Connected Universe Portal website, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Go into the community section, and you'll see there in the monthly Q&A questions topic uh, thread where I have already posted that question, so you can respond directly to that. Uh, or on social media, message me, whatever, and uh, we'll get those questions answered for you. So, all right, buddy, uh, I will see you again uh, for Connecting the Universe on the 20th of October. Of course, I'm going to be providing still a bunch of content in between instead of the classes. Since I'll be traveling, what I'll do is I will be sure to provide much more content in the way of behind the scenes videos and sneak peeks and things like that. So that's the type of content that'll be going up here. I'll still do Mike's Morning Mug uh, over the next couple of weeks uh, since we're not going to be having the Connecting the Universe uh, class uh, for the next two weeks. So, all right, everybody, have a great night. Until next time.